They're continuing to load in well here for this big Group 1 event. There's a bit of movement from out wide. This will be confirmation from downstairs. Hello, broadcast. Okay. The clerks of the course have been passed fit to start, and Dean and Lewis are in the saddle. The red light goes on. The clerks of the course podcast is set to begin. Ready. And they're off. Chautauqua very late. It's English a half length in front. Can he do it? Chautauqua. He's flying. Yes. And excellent. But McCarty Diva clear with 100 metres to go. Excellent runs to second. On a zone runs on. But a champion becomes a legend. McCarty Diva has won it. G'day everyone and welcome to uh, a quick backup edition of the Clarks of the Course podcast. We're back. It's two days in a row, uh, which is uh, pretty unheard of for us, but uh, Everest week, as we said before, so we're pumping out some content on the quick backup. Got another massive, massive interview coming up uh, at at the end of our little chat, Dino, about the Everest. Uh, Before I move on, it's been a rough old day out at Hamilton where I was tipping today, so I had to crack a beer. Uh, I think you've already been to the Dirty Bird at some point today as well. So we're in fine form uh, and we're going to have a rundown of uh, the Everest, I guess, in, in our in our final sense before we start tipping out horses as the barrier draw was last night. What did you think of uh, of the draw last night? Yeah, it was a funny old draw. I think there was a couple of takes um, on Guitra's draw. The button wouldn't work. Uh, it was all a bit weird, but finally got the barriers at the end, and there was definitely some winners and some lo- losers and some firms in the market straight after the barriers. But no, all in all, it's always it's probably the only barrier draw I ever go and sit down and actually watch. So no, it definitely it's got my attention. What about you, mate? What'd you make of it? Yeah, I didn't get I didn't get the point of the red button. That really confused me. Was it? I think was it supposed to flash up somewhere in the sky, or I, I don't really know what was happening. But they were just smacking the button, and it was coming up on a computer. So a bit of a weird one. Um, they keep trying to go to new lengths, I feel, every year for that barrier draw, and I think this one was uh, they'll be reverting back to putting it up on the sales of the Opera House or something like that, I think, next year because this one definitely uh, was a bit underwhelming. But barriers were drawn, as we said. Uh, I'll just run through uh, quickly who drew what barrier. So dollar for dollar has barrier one, behemoth two, Hortbury on her three, trekking four, Nature Strip 5, Classique Legend 6, Guitra 7, Santa Ana Lane 8, Eduardo 9, Bivouac 10, Tafane 11, Libertini draws the outside in 12. Yeah, definitely some winners and losers, as you said. I'll uh, let you kick off with who you thought were the main winners from the uh, from the draw last night and, and, and where you see them sitting. Yeah, so the main winners I thought were sort of those horses that drew five, six, and seven, especially being uh, those horses that sit off the pace and run on. I think they'll land in great spots. Horses I speak of are Classique Legend, who drew barrier six. I think that's an absolute perfect barrier for them. Um, Guitra, who drew seven, uh, always a key in this sort of these big high pressure races for backmarkers not to draw those inside races. We saw. Um, Santa Ana Lane last year draw barrier two and go within half a length of yes, yes, yes. I think if he was able to draw an outside barrier last year, he probably wins that race. Um, I thought the barrier for Eduardo was a good barrier too. Um, Nature Strip draws five. Uh, he'll be able to jump on the back of Nature Strip, sit off that speed and idle across. So I thought that was a nice barrier for Eduardo. 
Uh, speaking of nature strip, I thought barrier five was a great barrier for him as well. Um, I think they might have been in a bit of trouble if he would have drawn, uh, say, 11 or 12. He needs to sort of save as much energy as he can um, early stages of that race. So I thought they were sort of the winners. Um, even Hawkbury on her, barrier three, that's a great barrier for her. And dollar for dollar, I don't think you could have asked for much, much more with a front-running horse drawing barrier one. So they're my winners. Um, is that how you sort of saw it too? Yeah, I can't add much more to that, to be honest. Uh, the one I first put down was dollar for dollar, and I know I took a sit yesterday against the horse, but I think uh, with, this, uh, with the speed that dollar for dollar has, we'll land right in behind Nature Strip on the fence. So leaders back uh, and, and, and splits permitted and gaps permitted should have every chance. I know he's the well outsider of the field, but I thought dollar for dollar drew well, sits in behind Nature Strip. Same with Hawkbury on her, probably sits... Uh, could even find box seat, I think, Hawkbury on her uh, from that draw there. Nature Strip, I want to play a bearded devil's advocate for a second. I think it's a good draw, but it, I, I, I'm still not sure how hard Hawkbury on her and dollar for dollar make it work to get to the front. Yes, I agree, Nature Strip, if it had drawn any wider, obviously becomes more of a negative and, and it's still a good draw. But uh, although dollar for dollar and Hawkbury on her might not take it on per se, I think it, they're still going to make it get out and work to get to the front. So, yeah, just with those two speedsters drawn inside him, Nature Strip, I, I thought it was a good draw. I wouldn't I wouldn't be screaming through the roof for it. Uh, Classique Legend of Geetra, as you said, Classique Legend, I think, was the biggest winner of the draw. That's an absolute perfect spot. Uh, likely finds a one-out midfield position uh, with cover. That's a, that's a cracker. Um, yeah, and Eduardo's got a decision to make. Do they push on hard and try and sit up somewhere on the speed? Um, bivouac, same kind of thing. Obviously not a, a front runner per se, but from that wide draw, they've got a decision to make uh, as well. Who did you think were the big losers uh, coming out of the barrier draw last night? Yeah, like I mentioned before, in these high-pressure Sydney sprinting races, if you're a backmarker or a horse that likes to run on, um, I think the inside barriers are a big negative. So horses like Behemoth drew barrier two. We saw... Uh, Santa Lane last year, you either got to get immense luck in the straight weave between horses, um, not get any tired front-running horses back in your lap, or the other option is you drop back, go wide, and try to loop the loop the field. But with the quality that we have in the race, you have to be an absolutely outstanding horse to be able to give them a start, drop back, drop wide, and then uh, land on them late. Libertini, I thought that was a slight negative 12. I don't think they're going to sit back last, no way. Um, I think the best hope for Libertini is to push forward and hope for a three-wide uh, line with cover. Um, I would honestly prefer Libertini if if she says she sits at four, five, six lengths off the lead. She's going to have to be probably as good as her first start run, if not better, to pick these horses up. So you're hoping that they push forward, and I think they will. Um, thought Bivouac was a slight query. I think he's a horse that... His best sort of runs have come when he sits on that speed and sort of can get into that rhythm. I'm just not sure from barrier 10 where he gets to. He's in a similar boat to Libertini. They might find themselves dead last or stuck wide. Um, and trekking, I don't think it's a bad barrier, barrier four. But if you look at the speed, I think he's the back marker. Any other race you would have been happy with four, I think. But when you have horses like dollar for dollar drawn close, then Nate's trip coming from out wide as well as Eduardo. Uh, the map looks like he might get stuck on that rails position. He'd be nice and close though, so as long as he doesn't get dollar for dollar or Hawkbury on her back in his lap, um, 
it's not a negative, but he will be a horse who likes to run on, needs room, um, and he might be trapped on the fence. So that that's my slight query. Um, I think you'll be looking for those horses that will settle off the fence um, if you're going to back a back marker. So that's sort of how I saw the negatives. Um, probably Behemoth, probably the biggest negative out of all of them. The rest can overcome it, but they'll need luck. Um, that's sort of how I saw it, bro. Yeah, Behemoth, uh, I 100% agree, was for me even bigger uh, a loser than Libertini. Behemoth by name and by nature, it's an absolute monster of a horse. Uh, and to draw barrier two, it doesn't have a whole lot of early speed. It's going to be stuck on the fence, could be three, four pairs back. It's a horse that needs, uh, yes, needs to be cuddled up. And I think that's what Sam Lyons of Grand Syndicates was happy with, the fact that it does need to be cuddled up a bit and, and, and unleashed. But for such a big horse uh, that's going to be stuck on the fence and, and with limited galloping room, yes, the splits can appear and it can all can, it all can work out. Um, but, but that's a huge if. So for me, Behemoth were the biggest loser. Libertini, yeah, as you said, they're not going to go back to last. They're going to have to uh, sit in a three-wide line if at best. Could be wide, no cover the whole way. And, you know, Regan Bayless, um, no knock on him, obviously, but just in terms of, like, top flight a bit, uh, experience, like high-pressure group one experience, probably out of the whole field, the one with the least of it. So, He's going to have his work cut out for him. He's going to earn his pay in that race, that's for sure. And hopefully um, he can put an old head on on the day and, and make some really good decisions and put it in a good spot. But, yeah, for me, Behemoth and Libertini, the two uh, mainly Behemoth. Now, with all the map talk, run us through your your entire map from uh, from the front to the back. Yeah, so it's obviously a very tricky uh, map to sort of map out. Um, you've got a lot of horses who can probably push forward if they wanted to. Um, you've probably got horses they are going to do against their natural pattern just because of their barrier. Um, I had an extra strip leading across. I think you'll be a clear leader out in front. I think the race will be run and won, um, dictated by what dollar for dollar and Hortbury on her do. I don't see the stable mate Hortbury on her, sorry, uh, challenging nature strip. But from barrier one, um, they're not going to have to do much on dollar for dollar for him to find that rails and that lead. So, I think it's a huge, huge uh, question for Nature Trip backers. Um, if Dollar for Dollar lets him cruise across, um, he'll find that rail and that lead on his own. In behind them, I've got Dollar for Dollar sitting off him on the rails. Um, one out, um, Eduardo, and then in behind them, I've got Hawpery on her. Uh, next, I think Behemoth slots in probably fourth back the rail. Um, and outside of Behemoth, I can sort of see horses such as Classique Legend and Gee Trust sitting there. Um, and then it comes down to what Libertini and Bivouac do early. If they push forward, they'd be sort of five, six lengths off them on the outside. But out of one of those horses, I think one has to push towards the rail. Um, if you're getting horses like Gitra and Classique uh, sitting off the rails, then um, you'll need not, something's going to have to slot in and, and sit on that fence. So um, I've got Classique Legend sort of getting that three pairs back, one off as well as Gitra, probably he'd be four pairs back. Behemoth on the rail. Trekking will be on the rail too with Behemoth. And then you've got horses such as Libertini, San Annalene, Tefane. They'll be sitting off them at the back. They'll be hoping for cover, um, use their sprint late. Um, and I'm guessing not probably both, all of them won't want to be sitting dead last the rail. So I'm guessing one will maybe make a three-wide line or we'll see horses banked up on the outside. So that's sort of how I had it. Nature Strip lead them up. Eduardo, dollar for dollar in behind. Hawkbury on her. 
Behemoth on the rail, Classique, Gaitra, Bivouac possibly off the rails in the midfield role with Trekking uh, on the rail as well. Libertini, Santa and Tafani to round the field out. Uh, runners for your map, mate. Yeah, my uh, my map pretty similar to that. I think you've almost got it spot on. The one change I'd make is that I thought Hortbury on her uh, is going to try and be quite positive. I think being the stable mate to Nate Strip um, there from Barrier 3 going to push up just a bit harder than you might have suggested. So obviously Nate Strip in front, no one will want to contest. I understand that. I then had Hortbury on her leaders back. Uh, I think Eduardo uh, possibly sits in the one-out position, no cover, maybe that two, one and a half, two lengths off Nature Strip, outside Hawbury on her. Dollar for dollar, uh, unless they really, really try and rev it out, is probably going to be three pairs back the fence. I then had Geetra outside dollar for dollar. I think from barrier seven, they might try and cross uh, Classique Legend just to get in front, and I think McAvoy would be happy to let that happen so he can stalk Geetra. Behemoth four back on the fence, Classique Legend outside Behemoth. Uh, then I've got Lib- I left Libertini out wide in the three three wide line just because I don't know where they're going to go. I'm not. I'll have to see the tactics. They could go back. They could go forward. Who knows? They're going to have to make a decision. So I've left him out there in the three. Her out there in the three wide line. Trekking five pairs back defence barrier four. Bivouac to Farney, and then obviously Santa Ana Lane is the one that's going to be taking up the rear. So yeah, look, we have pretty pretty similar speed maps there. I just thought they might be a bit more positive uh, on Hortbury on her and try and get the back of Nature Strip. Now. I know we haven't been able to fully dive into the race and get our selections and our tips and our staking plans, but at this early stage, Wednesday, uh, who's who, are the, who is the main chance or chances? Yeah, like you said, we both haven't fully dived into form, but a, an early look's always a good look. Um, you, half the time you find your early thoughts are normally the right thoughts and then you go ahead and overcomplicate things. I think the three horses that I want to highlight um, and that – Sort of the most intriguing for me are probably the three horses at the top end of the betting. Nature Strip, you got a horse who ran $1.50 last two starts. Um, now you're getting $4.20 uh, when he boasts a third up record of five starts for four wins. So SPE backers will be absolutely licking their fingers with that. Uh, Barry Five, perfect. Um, and I like what you mentioned there. If dollar for dollar can't muster that speed early, then it looks like he'll get a nice, easy lead. Um, and I think that's what he's hoping for. Is that genuine excuses first and second up? Um, rock hard fit now. If any touch of rain comes, I think $4.20 won't last at all. Classique legend, like you mentioned before, I think Kieran McAvoy even said to Matt Vella, uh, who drew the barrier or slapped the red button, um, I want to draw barrier six. They got six. Uh, I think it's just a perfect barrier. Um, for that horse and I really like that he's into this third up you can see horses uh, a lot of horses in the field such as Guitra, Classique Legend um, even uh, Libertini they've all won first up leading into this race and then sort of Guitra um, hasn't had that second start Eva has Libertini but Classique Legend's the horse that's had that second start uh, now comes to the race, peaking third up. I really like that. Um, and then the other one is the seven, Gitra. Um, absolutely outstanding race first up. And I think the form's frank there with dirty work coming out now. Um, broke the track record, if I can remember, or was just off the track record. Um, and I think he's probably one of the biggest winners from the barriers. Like you said, it'll be a fascinating duel between uh, Collett and McAvoy because you could even say maybe the winner, if they're a back marker, He's probably the one that stalks uh, each other's out of that back uh, that matchup. 
with Classique Legend Guitra. So they're the three that I'm um, sort of looking at that are top end of the market. One horse that I'm probably, I think a lot of punters have overlooked, um, land will land in the perfect um, spot, get every chance. There's a rock hard fit front running horse is Eduardo, Rachel King aboard. Probably not the X factor in the race, but he's probably the horse that you can bank on turning up, giving his all. Um, if they go too hard up front and the back markers aren't there to win, Eduardo could um, sit off the back of Nature Strip and win. So they're my early thoughts, mate. Um, run run the punters and the viewers uh, through yours. Yeah, mate, exact same. Classic legend for me on top uh, at this early stage. I think the barrier was excellent, as you said. The first up win was insane. Great turn of foot. Second up struck trouble. Uh, obviously has to turn the tables on Libertini and can definitely do so now with the difference in those barriers. So Classic legend for me on top, Gitra. Um, I'm not going to say it's not forgotten. I'm not. I'm not saying it's the forgotten horse, but I've just seen a slight lack of chat about you know on 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 Twitter and through our punters and listeners about Gitra, and I think it's drawn perfectly in seven. It'll go forward, cross Classic Legend, and if and if good enough, which we know it is, um, it's a massive, massive chance. So Classic Legend and Gitra, the two for me. If I had to spruik you one at a bit of odds, I'd be going Hortbury on her. I think who will get into a lovely position as kind of the same as you said with Eduardo not that x factor um but I think she uh is, is a top line horse and and at a bit of odds could maybe run you a race now uh who are we taking on uh horses I want to take on uh definitely behemoth in the market ten dollars I'm guessing I'm not guessing probably I'm probably telling you that he's going to definitely drift um at that price um Trekking, I was sort of keen early doors, but Barry's four, the more I look at it, the more I can just see him getting in that sort of oh, that three, four back position on the fence. He's going to need a lot of luck and a brilliant ride from Josh Parr. So another one I want to take on. Um, I'm not sacking Libertini at all. I just got this pattern in form that I like to follow. I'm not sure if you follow these too, Lewis, but you can see a lot of horses, especially sprinters, they'll come back and they'll record a, a sort of a very – Big spike peak rating first up, and then they always come back, in my opinion, that second up performance brings them back a couple lengths, and then they sort of get back to that spike third up. I've just noticed a pattern, and it's something that I follow definitely in my form with sprinters, um, that sort of pattern. That's why I alluded to Classique Legend, who's had that second up run, come back a couple of lengths, now peaks again third up, if you could say. Gitra. It's had the time off now, so that second up syndrome, if you could say, has sort of vanished um, where Libertini's two weeks on from that first up run. So horses I want to take on are Libertini, uh, Behemoth, and Trekking. Yeah, beautiful. You're 100% right, mate. It's it's very hard as a top-line sprinter to hold uh, a peak rating for three straight runs. Let's say you're coming into the Everest third up uh, or even second up. It's extremely hard to hold that top level performance for three straight runs so if you come out and you run a ripper first up you can definitely uh you can't really sorry expect uh improvement or the same run again second up there has to like they're only you know uh, animals in the end of the day they can't sustain that i guess what your one little query was winks but i mean winks was a freak you can you can't really compare and, and do all this and that but yeah i agree uh for me taking on behemoth um, uh, which is hard because I am a big fan of South Australian racing, but I just think that draw is hard for such a big horse to be able to then somehow find the splits and accelerate with the same turn of foot that Classique Legend, et cetera, will have from a better run. Uh, so, yeah, against Behemoth, uh, Nature Strip is that X-factor price depending. It's already been backed in. 
um, since the barrier draw. So price depending uh, could become a bet once we shape up our markets. Um, and if they, if Eduardo and Hortbury on her and dollar for dollar, etc., cetera, uh, go really, really quick in front, uh, and this is, sorry, this is the, I know we're talking about horses we're taking on here, but I just wanted to mention one and again, if they go really, really quick in front and it's a high pressure race, I can't discount Santa Ana Lane at a price. I just, for a, is the best behind him? Yeah, probably. But for a top level horse who might get a cracking speed on in front, the first up run, although a slight below where he usually is, it wasn't a bad run by any stretch of the imagination. So there's just a little one as well. If they decide to go lickety spit in front, uh, Santa Ana Lane could be flying home. But yeah, Behemoth for me, I'm taking on uh, in the uh, the Everest. So speaking of uh, our top selection, Dean, which was uh, both shared by yourself and I, that segues perfectly into the man we're about to interview. Brought to you by the Sporting Base on the Clarks of the Course podcast. Head to the Sporting Base, obviously, for all your racing tips and news in sports in general. But we are really excited to be joined by one of Australia's, if not the world's, leading riders today on the pod. A man with extraordinary amount of career wins and a riding career so far that has spanned 23 years and taken him to the top level in some of the most prestigious jurisdictions there is on offer. He's a winner of over 70 Group 1 races in Australia, three Melbourne Cups, two Everests, uh, and rides on one of the leading chances this year in Classique Legend. It's never a long time between drinks for Group 1 success. He won the Group 1 Epsom only a few weeks ago on Probabil. A big, warm welcome to Karen McAvoy, mate. Thank you for coming on the pod. No worries, Louis. Thanks for having me on. Now, we'll start a bit uh, with your background, as we always do for the listeners. Born in South Australia, tell us about a bit about how you got involved in the industry. Yeah, I grew up in a little town called Streaky Bay, which is right over on the west coast and um, pretty remote, about seven hours west of Adelaide in a car. And um, I grew up in a racing family. Uh, my uh, my mum's father, uh, my pop, he was a jockey and a horse trainer. And um, my father was a jockey, and um, two of my uncles were riders as well. So um, always uh, around the horses as a young kid. Uh, my pop used to train about six or eight horses and, and just race around in the country over there. And um, and uh, took a few horses to Adelaide as, as a trainer pop and had a few few wins here and there. But um, yeah, I was always uh, keen on the horses and helping out around the stables and. Um, yeah, the bug sort of bit me pretty early on. And do you remember your first race ride? I mean, everyone, I feel, has a good story about their first ever race ride. Yeah, I remember parts of it. Um, I wouldn't say it's, uh, it's that fresh in my mind, but um, it uh, it was on Easter weekend. Easter Saturday it was at uh, a little track called Sejuna, which is uh, an hour north of Streaky Bay, and, um, yeah, on, a, on the dirt there at Sejuna, and... Uh, Racked up the first winner on a, on a mare called Atrice, uh, which was trained by a local trainer over there, and um, and then backed it up on the Easter Monday with another one. So um, had about fourteen or fifteen rides, I think, until I, I cracked my first winner. So um, that was in uh, yeah Easter of nineteen ninety seven. So got the ball rolling then, and um, yeah, been uh, been enjoying the ride since. Uh, welcome again to the pod, Kieran, mate. That's Dean here. Um, when did you make that move from South Australia? Yeah, Dean, I headed to um, – oh, I started off in the bush, as I said, and, and rode around sort of the, the areas of Port Lincoln, Port Augusta, and 
and then um, linked up with uh, Lindsay Park um, up in Angerston um, in the Barossa Valley there um, and, and rode for a stint in Adelaide with them. And then uh, I moved to Melbourne in, I think it was about May 1998. So I'd been riding for only you know, just over a year and um, uh, it, was, it was a big eye-opener when I first got to Melbourne. I was still pretty green and um, I'd sort of been been held back trying to save my claim for when I got to Melbourne, but when I got there, I was still very green and it took me a while to settle in and uh, there was plenty of times where Peter Hayes wanted to send me back to Adelaide and luckily I was able to uh, withhold the, 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 the temptation to go back and I wanted to try and make it in the big smoke and stuck on through. And the further I got into my apprenticeship, sort of through to 99 and, 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 and uh, got closer to outriding my claim, the, the more momentum I got. And, um, as it turned out, I was I started riding for Mike Moroni, and um, and as we know, he was the trainer of um, of, of the great old state of Brew, and and um, that was the win that really propelled me into my senior career. That leads us into the next question, probably something that a lot of listeners and punters don't know. Um, well, they might know, but they might not know your age. At age 20, uh, three years after you commenced your riding career, you did win that 2000 Melbourne Cup on Brew. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it was you know a fairy tale come true. It was uh, my first ride in the, in, in, in the great race, the Melbourne Cup, and, and my first Group 1 winner. And um, I'd been really lucky to, to have been uh, or having, having ridden for Mike Moroni as an apprentice in Adelaide and also in... In, um, in Melbourne, one of my first ever city winners was for Mike Moroni. So um, I had an association with the stable and uh, rode plenty of winners for them as an apprentice. And, and I, I went on through in the winter of, I think it was the winter of 99. And then um, obviously Brew, he was he was borderline to get a run in the field. And then he won the, um, the Saab race back then. It was called the Saab on the, on the Saturday. Uh, on Derby Day to, to qualify, and Chris Munts rode him to win that race, and he had 58 kilos when he won. Anyway, Chris got him over the line, and he and he, he got into the race with 49 kilos. So there's a bit of a story around it. It was it was a case of Chris already having a ride. Uh, Muncie was on one of Gay's, I think it was a horse called Coco Cabana. Um, Stephen Baster he had a, had a ride, um, and then Brett Preble he he was a bit heavy, couldn't make the weight. You come down to two riders, and, and I was one of them on the list. And having already won on the, on the horse, um, Mike Moroni pushed for me to ride him. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. We were able to get the job done. It was, it was. Um, I still remember the race vividly. We drew the outside barrier, which I was pretty flat about. I remember driving home and um, on, on the Saturday night after the barrier draw, and I was I was devastated. But um, next day, woke up and. and you know, really turned the page and and and, and uh, just focused on getting the job done. And um, you know, whatever will be will be will be type scenario. From that from that gate, it was uh, taking no prisoners. And I able to get across into a great spot. I was one off the fence with Gippio back inside me, and and um, he was one of the favourite runners, one of the hardest to beat in the race. And yeah, Brew was uh, in, in, in great form that, that day. He turned the corner. I was still full of running at the 400 metre mark and pressed the button. And without 49 kilos on his back, he was he was uh, uncatchable. And um, the way he went and, and yeah, first Melbourne Cup in the locker was uh, a fantastic feeling. And I had my family there on the day. And uh, you know, being such a young kid to win that race, I was 
I was uh, I, I was ecstatic, you know, over the moon. And you've now won it three times, obviously, 2000, and then it took you a while, but then you went bang, bang, 2016, 2018. Obviously, for the punters out there, talk us through, um, the, I guess, the processes leading into the race uh, in the week that leads up and maybe the dedication that it takes as well to get those rides. Yeah, well, you know, it, it proved to me that long period in between, um, you know, just, just how hard a race it is to win and, and to, you know, to be competitive in. And um, I went close on a couple of occasions um, leading up to that. And, yeah, I secured some great rides in the last few years, you know, Cross Counter being one of them, Al and back in 2016. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's a knack to obviously being a jockey and there's a, there's a real skill involved in, in riding in those long-distance races. And, um, you know, I, I really pride myself in uh, um, having a meticulous uh, routine coming into those races and, and um, you know, studying form and watching, you know, replays and, and, and obviously, you know, trying to pinpoint the, the hardest ones to beat and, and, and really trying to formulate how the race, the race might be running in, in, in your head. And... Um, and going at it with a plan and trying to execute it is is, is what's required. So um, it, it, uh, it's something that I really enjoy, and um, you know it obviously helps helps when you helps you helps to you know you enjoy something obviously when you when you're able to succeed at, at a high level. And um, you know we're doing uh, the, the you know no stone unturned approach uh, this year with with my ride in the race um, in a few weeks' time. That's it. Now, moving, Karen, from obviously staying races uh, to the great sprint races in Australia, I think the Everest is is quickly becoming one of those uh, top-level and, and, and well-looked-upon sprint races in Australia. You're obviously booked to ride Classique Legend, uh, trained by Les Bridge in Bon Ho's slot. Uh, before we talk about that quickly, though, how do you guys find that this race, the Everest, is stacking up against uh, the big sprinting races and even just the big races in general in the country? Oh yeah, fantastic race! You know, it's um, it's amazing to think that this race is only four years old, and uh, you know, every, everyone gravitates towards um, you know those big sporting events, and, and obviously the, the the prize money tag has has helped uh, accumulate you know many followers across the, the sporting globe and racing globe. But uh, it's a great quality field. You know, you look at um, uh, the, the field this this year. Um, you know, there's it's stock full of talent and, um, you know, horses from all over the country, which is fantastic as well. I think there's, a, you know, some, some Vicks and SA horses involved. Um, and, and uh, you know, we've got the, the best of our crop here in New South Wales. So um, an amazing race that's only going to get better and better. And uh, obviously this year we, we haven't got any international flavour in terms of jockeys or, or runners, but um, we, we've had that already in this race in, in, in previous years with, Aiden O'Brien having a runner and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, it, it's on the radar, that's for sure, across the racing globe and um, can't wait to see where, where it gets to this race. Now, you won the first two editions of the Everest on Red Zell, uh, the, the war horse now retired. Uh, what was the feeling after the first uh, win compared to the second time around that you won? Yeah, there wasn't much different, but I'll tell you that. It was, uh, it was an amazing feeling. Um, you know, the, both years we went in there a little bit of an underdog and uh, we, we were we were very lucky that um, you know we had Red Zell horse in great form and and, 
and we both both days we got sort of rainy conditions, which really suited him. Uh, he, he was a fantastic sprinter, and um, I was able to really execute a, a, a great race ride on on both occasions on him. And um, you know, the Snowdens were masters at getting horses to perform and, and peak on their on their main day uh, through a preparation, and that's exactly what they did uh, both times with this horse. And you know, it was an unbelievable feeling to to have. Um, of one or twice, it was uh, you know, it, it's quite amazing. Um, you know, the, 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 the run that I've, I've been able to have on, on a horse uh, like Red Dell, and um, yeah, hoping to do it again on Classic Legend. He's a, he's a young up and comer that um, he's definitely got the motor and, and can be very competitive this Saturday. How do you think you'd rate winning the Everest three times compared to the Melbourne Cup three times? <laughs> yeah, well, look, it's uh. It's hard. It's hard to put one in front of the other. That's for sure. Obviously, Melbourne Cup has, um, you know, a lot of prestige and history around it, and and this is a new race on the calendar. But um, uh, both are, are um, uh, both are, are quality races. We know that, and um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't shy away from taking either of them again this year. That's for sure. Now, touching on Classic Legend, um, he's set for the Everest third up. How have you rated his campaign so far? That first up win in, uh, was dominant in the shorts, uh, and then he was very gallant second last week in the Premier uh, after sitting three wide. Are you happy with him leading into the Saturday? Yeah, it was, it was you know, fantastic first up. Um, we were able to ride him with the cover, and he finished so strongly. Uh, that last furlong was unbelievable. And, and then last time, we just had to sit a bit wide without cover, and yeah, a little bit exposed. We hit the front early, tried to ride a race to, to, to be close to Nature Strip, and I got to Nature Strip, and he was empty, and then I was hitting the front a little bit early. And uh, that day, Libertini had the, the stuck run behind us, and she peeled out and went bang. So, you know, I've got to make sure that I ride the, the, the horse properly this week. Um, but I feel that he's really come come along nicely in this preparation. Uh, that last run would have just topped him off fitness-wise. His work since has been great, and... Um, yeah, we go there in, in great great order, ready to uh, be very hard to beat on this weekend. How do you see the race uh, panning out this year in terms of your speed and tactics? I know you've got a few days left to completely get it down, Pat, but um, where do you see uh, yourself sitting in the run on Classique? Yeah, I think he's uh, he's drawn nicely. I was happy with Barrier 6. Um, you know, I've got a little bit of speed drawn either side of me. So he's definitely a, a, a horse that's uh, better ridden with a bit of cover. So, you know, I'll be looking for a spot somewhere midfield. Obviously, it all depends how quickly they go. Um, you know, we've got to remember that um, Corpory on here and Nature Strip are stable mates. Um, dollar for dollars drawn one. So these are all horses that are going to be up on the speed. And then and then there's Eduardo drawn out wide. He's, he's going to go forward. Um, it all depends what the opposition do, uh, as, as well as that, as well as me. So, um you know, I, I can be, you know, midfield with a bit of cover, but I know that if I go a genuine gallop, uh, I'm going to be very, very hard to beat with um, the power pack finish that he's that he's um, supplied with. And, um, yeah, if I can get it right, then um, I'm, I'm confident that he can be very hard to beat. Uh, now, you sat on him Tuesday morning as well at track work. It's always important to see how they feel, uh, obviously, in the races leading up, but on grand final week itself. How did he perform on Tuesday morning? Yeah, very good. He does his work on his own, and um, he, um, he he was nice and bright. And I've had the luxury of riding him a fair few times 
um, this preparation. So just get the close eye on, on how he's been. And and um, Tuesday was uh, no exception. He, he pulled up. Uh, we've done done some some nice work on his own on, on the grass there on the Kensington track. And um, I was really pleased with how he felt. And going to sit on him again in the morning and um, just do some easy pace work, and, and that'll just top him off for the weekend. So. Um, He's, he's in great order of the horse and um, he goes to the races a bit fitter this weekend and um, that's going to help, obviously, with being the, 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 the grand final, if you like, of, uh, of, of this campaign. Yeah, Kieran, what's it like having that strong association with Les Bridge? I think a lot of punters would have saw the interview uh, after his first up win. Uh, he's always got that very charismatic uh, post-race comments. Uh, what's the relationship like with him? Yeah, he's been great, Les. He's uh, yeah, he's a, he's a cool old old customer, that's for sure. He's been around a long time, and uh, I've really enjoyed working closely with him with uh, with this horse. And um, uh, you know, he doesn't put any pressure on me. He knows his stuff, and um, you know, he, he knows his job. I know my job, so we've we've been a good uh, good combination. <laughs> Now, mate, just before we let you go, we know you're a, uh, a family man. You're picking up your young bloke at the moment. We're just going to hit you with some quick-fire questions. Just the first answer off the top of your head is good, uh, and it's always a good okay. listen for the listeners as well. So uh, first off, if you can think of them, the, the top three horses you've ridden so far in your career. Um, I'd have to say uh, Shamadal, Dubawi, and I'm going to throw a left-field one in, Guelph. Mm, interesting. Our uh, favourite track? Favourite track? But uh, I have to say Flemington. Uh, now, who's the biggest pest or the funniest bloke in the jockey's room? Biggest pest, okay. Uh, the funniest would have to be Mark Zara from Melbourne. And the biggest pest, uh, who would that be? The biggest pest? There's a fair few of them. Uh, <laughs> Benny Mellon. <laughs> um, after all the hard work's done, favourite holiday destination? Um, favourite holiday destination? I'm going to say Magnetic Island. Yeah, beautiful spot up there. Uh, and if you're on Magnetic Island, mate, what's the beverage of choice? Beer. <laughs> Asahi. A lot of Very good. Very good. Very good. Uh, in one sentence, what's your goal for the remainder of this racing season? Win as many group ones as I can. That's it. That sounds like a good goal, mate. Well, best of luck uh, on Saturday with Classic Legend and also best of luck for the remainder of the season uh, until we catch up again. I'm sure there's a lot of punters out there that listen to the pod that will be strongly in the camp of Classic Legend and I know you'll give it every possible chance and I hope that we're all cheering you over the line, a winner for the third time. Mate, thanks so much for coming on the pod. We really appreciate your time. No worries, boys. Hopefully you can back some winners. That's thanks it. Very much. That's always the plan. Not, I don't know if it always comes <laughs> off, but that's the plan. <laughs> thanks, mate. All right, good on you.